Welcome back to Sound and Sight. This is Tom Curran. Father Lewis, you're going to lead us today in a scripture and a prayer. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Good and gracious God, we do ask that uh, you fill us with the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your blessings, as we have our conversation today, and for the benefit and the great and the faith formation of our listeners, through the intercession of Mother Mary and all the saints, we ask your your uh, your blessings, and we offer all these prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father. Appreciate that. Well, last night it was at your house. That's at, right. At the rectory, just you and me and Carrie and. The and, bishop. And 20 of our best friends. And 20 of your best <laughs> friends. Yeah, that was awesome. I really appreciate you uh, hosting that and inviting us. Um, and this is a, it's a secret meeting, and we can't tell you anything else about it. So just, just know that you are on the outs. We are on the in. That is not the case. Father, what was the gathering all about? The gathering was, these were, um, you know, the bishop and myself, our vocation director, Father Kyle Triste, and um, my retired priest living in residence at St. Mary, Father Mike Kwiatkowski, and 16 um, adults, eight couples, and these are the couples, the parents of eight high school boys who uh, were in a discernment kind of prayer discussion group with me called the Melchizedek Project, which is a, a discussion a group, uh, as I mentioned, uh, specifically focused on helping these young men to uh, discern God's calling for them, their vocation. Specifically, are they called to the seminary and uh, maybe eventually the priesthood? And so I, f- I concluded this. It's a pretty elaborate uh, program. It's uh, it's pretty structured. And um, at the conclusion of that, um, I wanted to have the parents join us uh, for some society. This I, I've done it about five times, and this was the last one, and we did it with the bishops, but just to get to know our bishop, build community with him, and um, you know, hear from him how we can continue the discernment culture at home and any questions any of the parents may have had in just a nice, relaxed social setting. Nice. How do you think it went? I think it went good. I mean, since I hosted, I, I, I barely survived. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not used to hosting. I, I don't like hosting, to be perfectly honest with you, but... Uh, but um, Carrie could tell. <laughs> she could. She was, said, "Boy, he looked nervous. I should just. I just had to step in and help him." So she I tried to help. Did you? Did you sense her helping? I, I did. It was wonderful. Okay. Too bad the kitchen is about half the size of your office here, so uh, we can't get more than one body comfortably in there to do much. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but fortunately, the good people at Outlaw Barbecue provided the meats and the and the sides. So <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that, good that, stuff. That was really good. That yeah. whatever that loaf of meat was was. There was the br- uh, sliced brisket and. Then Brisket. The, the, okay. um, the, yeah, the, the grilled chicken thighs, yeah. yeah. That brisket was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> oh, all right. So, uh, well, it, Carrie, and she said that I, I was mentioning to you before we got on the air how she was like kicking herself afterwards because the moms, she blamed it on the moms. I, the couples did not step up and help you despite the fact that you were raising, you were waving your hands at us through email 
saying, hey, folks, we're having this potluck. That means everybody brings something, right? <laughs> and I'm going to provide the meats and the sides, so you're going to provide something, right? And it's the bishop coming, so you're all going to kind of bring something, right? <laughs> and it well, was we had some, we had sparse. Some... It was slim pickings. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I had all that meat and uh, the mac and cheese, and we had um, we had some brewskis and a lot of wine, so at least that helped. But, um, yeah, I was... Then Pickens after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's Carrie's like, why didn't I help father? And that was, she was like, I think I was hearing the voice of her mom. Her mom loved taking care of priests. Oh. <laughs> so it's like, and don't you know, this is not going to be their best gift. I mean, occasionally you're going to have a priest who's really good at like hosting and entertaining, but the default setting should be father doesn't get it, <laughs> right? He doesn't have to get it. It's not going to be his main thing. So when he's hosting something, get in there and surround him with support. Yeah. So it's just like <laughs> she was shaking her head and she went on and on about it. I said, let go. All right, let go. We'll... She said, I'm going to write him a note. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to do <laughs> Oh, it's fine. I was embarrassed when we ran out of forks and some of us had to resort using spoons to cut and eat our meat. So. Yeah. Well, it was At good that thing point, was you tender. just got to laugh. It was tender. Yeah. I think there was only like one person, I mean, to be Probably fair. Probably me. <laughs> yeah, I think you were the only one, Father. I think pretty much everybody else had the fork. So oh, the last good. shall be first. There you go. Higher yeah, place in go. heaven. Higher <laughs> place in heaven for you. I uh, Was there any anything that came out of the sharing um, that uh, you shared quite a bit, but when um, Bishop shared and Father Mike shared and Father Ratuiste shared, uh, I don't want you to play Guess What Tom is Thinking, <laughs> but there were a couple things that were like, oh, wow, I didn't really think of that before mm-hmm. um, that came out of that sharing. Now, if you'd heard it all before, I'll, I'll toss out the things I was thinking that struck me. Yeah. But was there anything that struck you? Well, when, when Bishop, who mentioned that, um, that Archbishop he knows, um, must be an Archbishop he knows in France, who gave the four practical practicals of of how to foster the culture discernment what stuck out for me is something that should be so easy always to remember but we don't remember it and that was the first one they said and yes we love god but remember that you're loved by god and you know how does what does that have to do with discernment vocation well if we if we are convinced and we're always mindful of that we are loved by god then everything else flows from that we can trust god and we can trust that God has a plan for us. We can trust that God does want us to be happy. And therefore, we should not be afraid, uh, even if our uh, uh, discernment leads us to discerning a vocation that we would not have thought otherwise is our calling. But we, I, I know I'm loved by God, and I trust that God wants what's best for me and uh, for His glory. And so this is the path. So that that stuck out immediately to me. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That was... I. Now that you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It, that was a nice little structure. Mm-hmm. And, and Bishop is such a good storyteller. Yeah. He doesn't just say, let me, let me share with you four points I heard from Archbishop Bruno Forte. It was, I was in Lourdes, praying, for giving the diocese to the Blessed Mother, and there met the doctor, and the doctor had brought us into a meeting with this Archbishop. It was really cool. It was kind of like he yeah. brought you on a journey with him. Yeah. And then said, oh, by the way, here are the points. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Good job, Bishop. Yeah, right. he did good. (laughs) Um, So isn't that nice that the Bishop's getting kudos from us, right? (laughs) (laughs) So um, the the thing that, one of the things that jumped out at me, and the Bishop um, brought it up, and then Father Mike uh, added to it, and that was the atmosphere in the home. Mm -hmm. And do you remember the point? 
I don't. So quite... the atmosphere in the home that says there's an atmosphere in the home that um, promotes vocations, but there's also a more subtle atmosphere in the home that can um, suppress vocations. Mm, okay. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, because the answer is well, of course, right? Of course, on the one hand, it's an of course thing um, that if you are um, if you are going to be like no, don't right? This is going to be you're going to waste your life, or do you realize what you're sacrificing? Um, versus the more subtle sense of saying, I'm not um, fostering this sense of openness that. The good and loving God who loves you is beckoning you to come follow him. And why don't you give yourself over to that potential of saying yes to him in ways that it, uh, that aren't naturally the first thing you'd think of? Mm-hmm. That that was that was was really nice to hear that. Yeah. It was just yeah. I think that's when Bishop um is that about when Bishop was starting to talk about, you know, there's two things that block a man's discernment, fear and opposition. Yeah. And um, and I jumped in at that point and said there could be the real opposition of parents or other family members actively or even passively uh, um, trying to uh, distract you from discerning to the priest or discouraging it. But there could also be the perceived opposition, which is the point I brought up, that my parents were not opposed to it. They never proposed it, but they never opposed it. And I was afraid that they would when I told them I'm going to enter the seminary. And lo and behold, they didn't. So I had the fear that I was fearing this uh, perceived opposition, and it turned out to be a baseless fear in my case. And I think that is a real fear and a block for a lot of young men. So um, yeah, when Bishop spoke on that, that was, that's a good point. Thank you. In fact, I uh, yes, the, you actually put more flesh, you put more meat on the bone, so to speak, <laughs> um, regarding that point. And it's interesting because... When I discerned entering the seminary, my parents, even though they were devout Catholics, there was that sense of saying, are you sure you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And I also like that Bishop saying you can check one box. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that point? Mm-hmm. What was the point? He said, you know, he said God allows uh, a young man to check one box, meaning there's one thing that God will allow you to do with your life before seminary. So you can't keep, just keep, well, and the let point me get is, my is degree that, like, first. That's right. It's like, oh yeah, I'll consider the seminary After I get after, my degree, right? after I get my job, after I've tried life for a while, after I've dated for a while. No, no, you only get one of those boxes. Otherwise, you're just going to keep kicking the can down the road because, well, I got to try this out. I got to try this out. And pretty soon you're 45, 50, 65, and, and you still haven't discerned your vocation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so so I'd never heard that before. You, you could check one box. God gives you one all right, fine, we'll delay, you do this, but there's an intentionality here. You're doing this for the sake of discerning at the end of it, is this your call? Mm-hmm. Or is, in fact, the priesthood still prominent in your mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my parents. my parents. My parents were saying, finish college first, and then consider the priesthood. Yeah. And I remember, because the priest was with, uh, the priest had come to dinner uh, at my parish, and uh and because um, I was meeting with him for spiritual direction, and, and, and we, we were friends with the priest at the parish anyway. So, But he was having dinner with us, and, and he said, well, if you know that you're going on a trip from, you know, you've heard that analogy how many times. If you know you're going on a trip from um, Seattle to Boston, why would you take a detour and go to Dallas, <laughs> right? No, d- d- head directly to Boston. And, and so that was the idea of why would you wait two more years 
to finish uh, college mm -hmm. when you can go directly to the seminary now and discern it. And then if, if for some reason that doesn't make sense, then you can always come back. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that influenced my parents, just to, just to have it directly challenged. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So. And lo and behold, you are still not called to be a priest. I know. Who, yeah. know. who knows what God needed you to receive in seminary to, to be the husband you need to be for Carrie. <laughs> well, and it's so interesting. Uh, just this discernment applies in a lot of things. I was talking to a dad um, in the past week. Um, and his son is going to be a senior in high school, and football has become really important to him. And it's influencing significantly his uh, criteria for determining uh, what college he'll go to. Mm. Because there are only a couple of colleges that have like this meaningful interest in him to offer, offer him a scholarship to, to play football. And what I said to him, I said two things. The first was, well, would these colleges be on the radar screen as colleges you desire for your kid um, if football wasn't in the picture? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, they would. Yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're colleges that have a, a, a basis in faith and they're solid. And so I could see that those colleges would be uh, potential, but maybe, you know, not at the top of the list, but... All of a sudden, they got moved right to the top of the list. Right. And, and so then my second point was, I said, well, maybe God's using football to get him there, right? Maybe, who knows what God's going to have happen to his life, and mm -hmm. he'll meet his spouse, you know, meet his wife, or he'll, he'll hear his next call, or he'll discover a major that, you know, whatever, right? I said, maybe God's, like, the only way God's going to grab his attention to get him there is football. Mm -hmm. So and he's like... That's a really good point because he was wrestling. He was really wrestling with, oh, football's taking too much um, thought in his mind and influencing what he's thinking about for um, next steps in life. And, and you know, that's a big deal. You don't want to get that one wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, today on Sound Inside, I'm talking with Father Lewis, and we have a very detailed outline <laughs> we're going through. Uh, I, I actually have a number of anecdotes from seminary life that I want to ask you about okay. um, that came out of last night. So, okay. ta-da, let's go. <laughs> uh, last night, Father Lewis hosted a, a really nice dinner with, uh, with Bishop Daly and a chance to be able to uh, interact with him and with the vocation director, Father Ratuiste, Father Mike Kwiatkowski, uh, the senior priest in residence at uh, St. Mary's, along with uh, Father Lewis, uh, because of his, Father Lewis, your uh, very admirable uh, emphasis on uh, encouraging young men to discern priestly vocations. It's, a, it's really a beautiful thing that you do. And I think you have a statistically significant number of seminarians in the diocese now coming trace back to you. So that's <laughs> I, I try really, not to brag about it. That's a really cool thing. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com.
Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you today. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, the pastor of St. Mary in Spokane Valley. So Father Lewis, we are um, heading towards the end of the summer, and um, I was at Mass on Sunday. You weren't. You weren't. uh, (laughs) It was noted, huh? (laughs) Yes. But the parish is getting fuller and fuller. It is getting cracked with a lot of families, a lot of young families. You're smiling. Uh, Well, I smile because I think it's great, and also because I flat out, you know, called out the parish, I think, uh, toward the beginning of June, I think it was, when I said, look at y'all. I look out more and more, and I only recognize half of you. I need you to introduce yourselves to me because I'm failing as a pastor. I don't know who you are. <laughs> and we kind of said it tongue-in-cheek, but I mean, seriously. And then people took me up on that offer, like introducing themselves. And, and like you say, you know, it's interesting. The parish has grown in numbers of households, and but definitely grown in numbers of people because a household could be the widow living alone who, who finally uh, entered into a reward replaced, so to speak, with the household of a young couple with three, four, five kids. So there's a growth, net growth of five, six people right there. And um, yeah, it's been incredible to see it grow. And I'm, uh, I'm a little worried because I don't know who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know them. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, a very, it's a very encouraging thing to see young families right, at, at Mass, now that I'm an old family. <laughs> so it, it's part of this whole idea of journeying through life. And, and I know a lot of folks listening right now are still really in the midst of like uh, a painful season of discernment, trying to figure out, like, what do I do? What do I do? Because life is so challenging mm-hmm. right now and helping me navigate the challenges I face with my kids, mm-hmm. right? So I know in October on the 22nd, 23rd, or is it 21st, 22nd? 21st, 22nd. 21st, 22nd, um, I'll be speaking yeah. at this parish in Spokane Valley called... St. Mary. St. Mary, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. As part of your uh, parochial year of healing, mm-hmm. um, a Friday night and then Saturday will uh, start early in the morning and be done by one in the afternoon. And the theme for that weekend is parenting the digital generation. So on Saturday in particular, I'm going to do a deep dive um, with Kerry on um, a number of themes connected with how do you shepherd your children wisely and courageously, boldly, in the face of the um, the technological portals that are just pouring filth into kids' lives, yeah. into families' lives, and leading to so many addictive behaviors. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a good. I, I, well, I'm sure it'll be a good uh, weekend. It's going to be a great event. I'm I'm promoting it heavily also with our school. Uh, which was a conversation that arose last year when having to upgrade our network uh, security and all this other stuff so that we could do digital learning as well as in-person learning. Uh, we found out very early on how weak our security was and what was happening. And we heard you know, anecdotes of this all over, horrifying stories all over the place um, regarding the failures of technology at the beginning of the pandemic. But but that arose um, a need to address a deeper concern is that it's not that there's cracks in the system, but that you know, our kids are gleefully uh, wading right in, right through those uh, gaps, and um, and and parents either don't know about it or don't know what to do against it or or whatever. And so, just to be able to address it, and I've been telling my parishioners as well, this is a good this is a good opportunity for grandparents to get on board. They don't have to worry about that anymore, I guess. But if nothing else, it'll help them to. Um, to at least uh, be empathetic with, um, to understand the struggles that their grown children have trying to 
raise their children in a completely different era than they had to raise them, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago before the iPhone and the widespread internet. So I'm hoping that'll help grandparents to relate and uh, be more sympathetic with the parents who are trying to raise the children now. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping it'll be a full church with lots of people listening. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm excited to be able to, to dive into this. It's something that, it's, it's funny, it's like the first talks I gave on this were back in like 2010 and 11 and 12, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And those talks, I've got to tear up 90% of the content mm-hmm. because it, let's just say it hasn't gotten better, no. right? Things have continued to, to steamroll down and, and it feels like the, 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 um, the angle down is even more steep. Yeah. Things, uh, but I also see some um, creative new efforts to improve things. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard, uh, you know, a smartphone? Have you heard of a wise phone? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very creative. I, I'm thinking about getting that, if nothing else, to just simplify my life. But right. it functions like a normal, like a normal smartphone, but it only comes with like six apps total. And you can't download anything else, and it cannot access the internet. It's only meant for communication and texting. And I think there's a flashlight and a clock. And, right. And a GPS. And that's it. GPS. Which that's it. Is a basic, yeah, the basic functions that people really actually find functionally practically valuable. Because God bless us if we have to get back those indexed maps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <What> <laughs> or if, those huge road atlases that you yeah, have to unfold exactly. and, out of the glove box of your car. Right, right. We used to carry this big one. We kind of flip the bob, you know, like H4. Yeah. The, grid, the gridding of like, okay, there's the street, but what, where is it on the street? God bless us. Yeah. I'm old. You're pretty old, Father. I'm older. So, All right. So, um, so this journey that you're on, folks, you're not meant to do it alone. You're just not. Um, you're meant to call upon your brothers and sisters in the community of faith to provide a sense of guidance, support, and strength to be able to be encouraged to take the steps you need to take in order to protect your kids, to lead your kids, and provide for your kids. So this isn't only about no, don't. This is all about, also about yes, how. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to be exploring on um, October 21st, 22nd. That's a Friday night and Saturday. I'll be talking more about that on, on Sound Insight in the, in the next month. But you have another session coming up, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. one that's happening before then. Yeah, so in, in three weekends. Um, so this year of healing we're doing at St. Mary began on Divine Mercy Sunday, and we'll conclude this upcoming Divine Mercy Sunday. But maybe these kind of things will continue. I've already been talking with a couple of parishioners about other ideas we can do at the end of the year, but lots of different things going on to try to promote various aspects of healing, personal or emotional, spiritual, um, communal and relational, and um, and where we can access um, the various healings that we need. So in September, a priest friend of mine from seminary days, who was my spiritual director then, and now now we're friends, so that's, I must have passed the bar. But <laughs> Nice. But anyway, he's a fin- uh, conventional Franciscan. And I've invited him to come and speak about the healing power of, of sacred scripture. Oh, wow. And that'll be um, September like 17, 18, that third weekend, Friday, Saturday again. Who's and, that? Uh, What's his name? Father Brad Malunsky. Okay. Yeah. He's, he, he, um, did he teach at Catholic U? He didn't teach there. He was in their formation house there when I knew him. And so he supplied himself out as an extern spiritual director oh, wow. at, uh, at Theological College. And then... Um, but he's had all kinds of gigs. I mean, formation has been about half his career, but he's been uh, chaplain hospitals. He's been uh, pastor of their mother house in Syracuse. Uh, I think it's called the the um, the Church of the, Asum- uh, the Assumption of Mary. 
Um, anyway, so he's had a number of jobs, but he, that's his province is the, the northeast there. I, I should interview him. Right? Well, just let's get, um, let's get the word out. Yeah. So connect me to him. And He's going to be here for a week, so I'll talk to him. We'll All see right. if we can arrange it. Yeah. 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 Well, before. Yeah. To yeah. help promote oh, it. Give, give Come me on. A call. Don't you want people coming to this? I do. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> so let's. Uh, well, in just the theme, the healing power of scripture. Yeah. I. Uh, so let me ask you the question. Uh, when you hear that that scripture has a healing power, what comes to mind? Consolation is what what immediately comes to mind. Is that uh, part of what? In makes... In what way? Well, that uh, I guess a closeness to God, and that you know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Psalm forty-six, verse eleven: "Be still and know that I am God, supreme among the nations, supreme on the earth." And so, if I'm getting all worked up and anxious about the goings on of the world, that brings me back to a place of peace and centered on God. God is the one. We may not see it now, but God is fully in control. The war's already won. We're just kind of in cleanup duty as Christians, discipling others and evangelizing. But God's got it in hand, and that that calms me down, takes me out of the anxiety, brings me back to a place of peace, and then you know. Okay, so I want to. I'm going to mine this a little bit more, Father. You, uh, you're going to feel a little spotlight on you here. <laughs> so you call to mind Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I'm God. Okay. Um, how does that bring you healing? Like you say, it consoles you, it calms you down. Like, is there a spiritual practice? Like, for instance, is it that? Okay, I'm getting a little frenzied right now. The phone is ringing. Someone's knocking at the door. I'm, I'm seeing my list of things to do. It's a little bit overwhelming. Wait a minute. There on the wall is be still and know that I'm God. Okay, so what do I do with that? Do I take my Bible and I go sit in adoration? Do I just pause for a minute? Like, what do you do to make that scripture be a healing, a source of healing or mm-hmm. consolation for you? Mm-hmm. Um, if I weren't already in in enwrapped in the practice of a daily holy hour, that would remind me that I just gotta stop what I'm doing, uh, get out of my head, and and get to the Lord. And so my office is just down the hallway from our from our chapel, from our tabernacle in the church. And so it's easy for me to do that. So it would do that for me if I weren't already in that practice. And if I I am in that practice, so when I when I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling that, I'll just go to my Parish secretary or my DRE or whoever's in the office saying, if you need me, I'll be in the church. And then away I go. So it oh, does wow. propel okay, me so, to that action. All right. So it, so you're saying that, so this is a, good, a great example here. You're saying the word of God, it, it becomes a healing source for me when I, number one, know what the word is. And then when that, when that word gets called back to mind, and I want to know how it gets called back to mind, um, it then leads you to action. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of the word is spoken and then it takes flesh in me by actually moving with that word to disrupt what I'm doing and to actually go sit in the church. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how does that come to you? How does that actually come to you as, do you, do you sense it's the Lord gracing you? Do you sense it is um, a, a practical human thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, a sign on the wall. I've got a scripture right there. The battle is not yours, but God's. It's mm-hmm. right. I look at it five times a day, right? And so just remember, Tom, the battle is not yours, it's God's. And, and it's, it's a human thing because it's right in front of me, but it's also the Lord saying, hey, 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 look and see. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how do you see it in your in your regard? Well, the image that immediately came to mind was what Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
And so if I'm filled with anxiety and noise in my head and all this other stuff, and then I come across maybe that quote or be still know that I'm God, that what it feels like, what it can feel like for me is it brings me back to a place of peace, quiet, then maybe I'm hearing the knocking at the door. And then, okay, I just need to like reprioritize what's really of importance here. And the top priority is God and letting God in, answering that knock at the door, letting God into my life. And then maybe that leads me to action. Now come see me in the tabernacle or, or come, I mean, maybe some other action. Remember that preaching the gospel is, is the highest part of my mission. Or, you know, make sure I'm visiting the sick. Don't get wrapped up in these, you know, these uh, other uh, administrative details, as important as they are, but but whatever it is, you know, bring me back to a place of primary mission, or or even just like go and sit with the Lord to be in His presence in the Eucharist. So it's not just a matter of what knowing what the Word of God is, but of course who the Word of God is. So the Word and the Scriptures propel me to go to see the Word and be with the Word in the Tabernacle. So um, that's um, I guess that's what it feels like. It begins with that knock at the door, and Jesus just wants to come in and dine with me and me with Him. I love that. Well, what you're doing here is you're showing us, Father, that in order to have to let the the scriptures be a, a source of healing, you have to have some familiarity with the word. Mm-hmm. You have to have some familiarity with the scriptures themselves, so that you could say, "Yeah, it's Revelation three twenty. Yeah. That that's where Jesus says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." Um, and so that sense of um, like a discipline mm-hmm. or a devotion. Or and and it's it's one that I think that um, there are certain um, signs that are positive that Catholics are accessing the scriptures as a um, as a part of their devotion or they're part of their prayer life. Yeah. Um, I think that um, things like okay, it's the rosary. Yeah, we'll use a scriptural rosary, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think a, more Catholics are using um, daily prayer guides like Magnificat, mm-hmm. or there are some other ones, Share the Word, the Word Among Us, mm-hmm. et cetera, that are daily scripture readings connected to the Mass. Yeah. So those are, I think, a couple of signs of Catholics becoming more comfortable with scriptures. Yeah. But the idea of, I have a Bible, I bring my Bible into my prayer time, and I'm expectant that the Lord is going to meet me in the scriptures... I think that we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, you know, in his, um, it was one of the last, I think it might have been the last document that was published by the Vatican when Pope Benedict, before he abdicated, and it was Verbum Domini, the Word of the Lord, a beautiful exhortation. I think it was an apostolic exhortation related with Scripture. In his prologue to it, or his introduction to it, he gives a very uh, uh, concise and I think um, rich uh, reflection on what Lexio Divina is all about. And he says at the end, and of course, no time praying with sacred scripture is complete with unless it leads us into action. So he says step five of Lexio Divina is axio, and so leading us into action, some kind of like growth in faith. So, or So, follows you're using a phrase that's kind of, it's really kind of... <laughs> Theological and Latin. I mean, what are you talking about? Lexio Divina. What in oh, the world what is, is that? Lexio Divina, Father? Lexio Divina is, is divine reading. It's a method of praying with sacred scripture. It's not Bible study, although that can be a part of it, but actually praying to the Lord from our heart and letting the scriptures, the word of God, speak to you in response to that. There's a kind of a whole procedure, a multiple reading of it, diving deeper into it with each read. And um, and then I actually I'll, I'll actually journal with it. You know the the word or the phrase that sticks out as I'm reading this passage. So that's you know the why the what stuck out the why kind of reflecting on that, 
What kind of call to conversion or deeper faith is it leading me to? And then actually concluding with a prayer and then, okay, I better make the resolve to follow through with action. Mm-hmm. I find that um, it's easier to describe just what you, the way you just did, uh, the idea of praying with Scripture, than sometimes the stages of Lexio Divina can seem a little bit like uh, forced, mm. uh, because they come from a, a, a context of um, the monastic life. So the cloistered life. So it's a, it's I think sometimes a little harder to, for Catholics to say, okay, I've got to do the first step and then the second step and then the third step, and then instead of just saying, say a prayer to the Holy Spirit, read the scripture, maybe use the scripture of the day, and just you know what the Lord's going to speak to you. Just be with the scriptures, read through it carefully, go back, sit quiet, read through it again, speak, Lord, your servants listening, and then what struck you, and then write something down. Yeah. There you go. Doesn't that sound a lot easier than there we go. Lexio Divina with the four <laughs> steps? I mean, for those who want to dig into it further, it's it's obviously there are great riches there, but um, I think the the simple approach is um, uh, often easier for Catholics to uh, appreciate and appropriate today. Which for me, that's the goal, yeah. right? Like, yeah. let's get it to happen, and then we can go deeper as as we do. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, more with Father Lewis. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com drtomcurran.com okay back to sound insight welcome back to sound insight this is tom Curran with father jeff lewis the pastor of saint mary in spokane valley if you enjoy this program i do encourage you go to mycatholicfaith.org you can sign up for the podcast the dr tom Curran podcast right there and if you do give it a five-star rating Give it a, look, Father Lewis, I think you're sensing a word from God that they must give a five-star rating and leave a comment about it. Encourage others to subscribe to that podcast because then it becomes more visible to others and others can be blessed by this programming. So go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can click on the link to Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe to it. You can give it a rating, five stars, and you can leave a comment. And that was in Jesus' holy name. That was my discernment. You can do it as you see fit as long as it's five stars. <laughs> All right, there we go. So, Father Lewis, back to the seminary and prayer. So, what that was one of the themes that showed up last night at the, the little dinner was, hey, how does spiritual theology, how does spiritual life show up in the seminary? Mm-hmm. I know that um, one of the things that tends to happen to seminarians in the seminary is um, there's this progression that can occur because of the or, the order of life, right? That schedule of life that um, allows for and promotes quiet prayer. You know, be still and know that I'm God. And so there's that natural sense of growing from a more discursive form of prayer, where I'm reading prayers that are even beautiful, devout Catholic prayers that are perennially valuable, to a more meditative approach of prayer. And then from meditation even to a contemplative approach of prayer. Um, is, is that overstated, or do you, do you sense that, yeah, in fact, I, I can remember that? 
Um, I, I, I sadly can't re- really remember that. I think um, our spiritual life in the house, especially in in major seminary, I think it, uh, as I look back, is very compartmentalized. When we had the uh, uh, days and evenings of reflection in-house, uh, those were the best times for prayer, um, but they were too few and far between. And unless our spiritual director would take a more active and direct approach to here's how you can pray at a deeper meditative or contemplative level, I'm not sure that it was really happening. Guys seem to have the gift that they, if they made it a priority. But, um, and maybe it's different from seminary to seminary. I suspect it is, because mine was attached to Catholic University of America, and uh, the academics were great. Therefore, there was a tremendous emphasis on the intellectual formation of seminarians, I think almost to the expense of the others. It felt really out of balance. Um, and I think we might have shared about this before, but but um, in any event, um, at the time, I guess, you know, I was I was pleased with it. Like, what we were doing as a community in the house and then making time for the Holy Hour was very enriching for me, but I still needed to have something to read or to do, and I wasn't trained and I wasn't, therefore, comfortable with just being with the Lord and and just letting the mind go deeper into the into the mysteries of God and just being in contemplation. That was uh, That was lacking, I thought. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, what? <laughs> honestly, mm-hmm. honestly, I'm like, oh, that explains so much for about priests mm. who, if they, I, I'm, I'm kind of stunned here, uh, to be honest with you, Father. Are, are you surprised that I'm stunned? No. Should you, <laughs> that I'm like, I, I don't, wow, wow. And, and Bishop made that point mm-hmm. last night. He talked about, you know, can we always just presume on a rich prayer life on the part of uh, the clergy? And the right. answer was, no, you have to make a decision mm-hmm. to do it. And Father Mike jumped in and said, having uh, s- a spiritual direction twice a month rather than once a month, it becomes a kind of an accountability check yeah. for guys to have prayer time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, that that's a foreign language to me. Uh, maybe it was the seminaries I was in. Yeah. I, wow. I, I suspect it was because when we did have some interactions with some of the other seminaries on these coasts, like I gathered that Mount St. Uh, Mount St. Mary in Maryland uh, really did it well, had a more of a, what I perceived to be a proper balance. And then some of our guys who went to my seminary for pre-theology and then would go there for theology. So we would interact and interact with them later in later years. Um, they would just speak so highly of, of the great, uh, spiritual formation and the prayer routine that they were able to develop there that was, I guess, lacking at ours. So different seminaries must have their different strengths, weaknesses. I, I hope that they would all strive for the, the healthy balance for the men. But, I mean, it's got to be hard to be a rector of a seminary with 80-plus guys there because you, you can't, right. and not everything is cookie-cutter, but that's where you would rely on the formation advisors and the spiritual directors to really tailor the whole program to the needs of the individual men. I think you're right. I think that that is probably one of the key things. And if folks, if you know what I, I you're like, what is Tom talking about? I don't <laughs> get it. And I, and it's this, is that in the seminary, there's a heavy, you talk about a heavy lift. There's mm-hmm. a heavy lift around academics. Just in terms of saying, if you want to know what's important in the seminary, ask how you're spending your time. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the time, if you just said statistically, the majority of time in a seminary is on studies. And it, it's not just classes because it's also homework and the reading and, and the reading that. and the yeah. papers and the and the and and the sadness for me was so I love theology I love studying right um, 
I found so many guys were approaching the subject matters as, let me memorize, let me get, what do I need to do to pass the test and then flush and mm-hmm. make room for the next content, which was so, again, a foreign territory for me. But with that said, there was built into the actual daily structure, okay, we're having morning prayer, we're having reading, spiritual reading time, right? In, and it was communal spiritual reading, 40 minutes before night uh, evening prayer, we would come and sit in silence in the chapel. And, um, and so, you know, you, you have built in, like, figure it out. You're going to be invited to learn how to meditate during that time. You're going to learn how to contemplate during that time. And it, I, I don't want to say it never occurred to me, but I think it would, what, what is maybe most surprising is that a guy would feel and pursue a call to give his entire life to the priesthood, to the priesthood of Jesus Christ, serving the Lord and the church with his whole life without a hunger for deeper intimacy with the Lord that only happens through prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, How does a guy do that? I don't know. It, it kind of frightens me to think that there are guys who somehow do that and you know, I like to think highly of my brethren that were in seminary with me, and I, I think you know, all of them, or at least most of them, are solid guys. But some kind of carried themselves with this kind of um, uh, professionalism, like you know, I'm going to be a great administrator, I'm going to climb the ladder, kind of a thing. I'm like, that's that just wrote me right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't stand that, and um, um, yeah, you know, that's not. Maybe it's because they're on the East Coast, so maybe they can ladder climb. I'm from Spokane. Like, where am I? Where am I going? Right? But, but I just it didn't. That didn't appeal to me. And if I were not already in seminary and I encountered that kind of priest or seminarian, that would probably turn me away because I, I'm trying to leave the world by entering the priesthood. I got to engage with the world, but this is a step out of the world to do this. And and that really attracted me from the beginning and throughout all seminaries that I'm parting from the world because it, it doesn't have what I want and what I need. But if I'm finding that the world has so infiltrated even the seminaries like that, that that would have that would have that would have um repulsed me, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. Um uh, I want to uh I want to shift over to the academic part of things. Mm. Um so, so when I was studying in Rome, uh, they were all lectures, right? So they're all lecture classes, and then you know, 250 students from around the world in these lecture halls. That you have the pictures of the saints and doctors of the church who taught or studied in that room, nice, which is really cool. That it's is. At, the, at the Gregorian mm-hmm. in popes, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh man, we'll talk about pressure. Well, <laughs> then the uh, the way that you were graded was, you know, uh, we had no homework. No quizzes, no papers. The entire grade was the final exam. And it was an oral exam, wasn't it? Half or you had to take one third oral, okay. one third written, and one third you could pick. Wow. So talk about pressure, mm-hmm. right? So um, I can remember, I got, oh, it's. I'm I'm a little triggered right now, right? Trying to talk about it. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to tell a story about uh, an oral exam I had, uh, two oral exams I had. (laughs) And then I want to hear about your experience of of, uh, your academics and, um, and how you went deeper into your own vocation through study. 
back in a minute with the, more of the program and Father Jeff Lewis. Okay, so Father Lewis, one-third oral, one-third written, one-third my choice. I did oral as much as possible. I did as few written exams as possible. And um, the, the reason was oral exams, 10 minutes, done. Mm-hmm. And your whole grade, though, was on 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and and there was a there was a, a saying in uh, in Rome, and it was six will get you ten. So there was a ten point grade system. So a ten is a is a perfect day, and a six was the lowest passing grade. And so the the saying was six will get you ten. Like as long as you pass, it yeah. does not matter. And so there were guys who would just um, go and sit in the lectures and not really pay attention. Because they didn't know Italian very well, because they're all in Italian, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I was there was a medieval uh, church history course, and I can remember the teacher, and he just was not that engaging. Well, I went and I read like these volumes on church history myself, and. Um, and just knew all of this. I just, I was so hungry, just reading, and I loved it. So I walked into the oral exam, and he said, okay, I want you to tell me about the history of popes beginning on this date. And I'm like, oh, no. I had studied like the, that history like two popes later. Oh. I knew everything. Like I had so much detail, like... I, I was like, I, I really knew a lot, but he asked me two popes earlier. And I'm like, oh, Father, okay, listen, I can tell you all about these popes. And, I, and I, I was scraping, I was scraping for the little details that I remembered. But unfortunately, his class began at that earlier stage than mine. Well, I got a six out of 10. <laughs> I was a really good student. I graduated <laughs> number one in my class, but I got a six in that class. Not because I didn't know the content. I loved it, but I didn't pay attention to the lectures. I was just immersing myself in the content. So there's a, a drama involved in where I studied. Anyway, it's nice so, to know you're human, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, Father. Do you, have a, do you have a memory of facing down a professor or a particular topic? I, I, well, lots of them, actually. But... Um, Back to you know your preference for oral exams. I was so nervous at the first prospect of my first oral exam because I was like, so much is writing on these ten minutes. But then after doing the first one, I was like, man, that's great. <laughs> and um, in in retrospect, I'm I I still would prefer that for the practical reason that a lot of my um, for the practical reason that a lot of my um, discourse with the theology that I learned is not going to be sitting down writing papers. I don't plan on writing articles or books, for example, but sitting down with parishioners to be able to explain questions as they arise. So that conversational style, um, you know, appealed to me on that practical point. But um, on one of my uh, moral uh, theology classes, uh, moral uh, introduction to Christian ethics, I think it was, uh, that was a great, um, I think the professor, the professor was just predisposed to just kind of be easy on the grading. And he approached it very, a young guy, very um, a layman, very um, in, uh, conversational. And so if we were kind of getting off base or whatever, he would just kind of like, in a conversational style, bring it back. And and then he gave me an A. And so um, so that was nice. And then another one, it was, um, uh, this was a, t- a much tougher one. It was, um, I think it was a Sacraments of Initiation course. 
and a lot of it was history and really history. I mean, I wanted to know it's the theology of how these sacraments work. He was giving us the history of its development and our church's understanding of that theology, which is fine. It was a different emphasis than I would have cared for, but but uh, there was one part of it I just uh, completely flopped. And the guy tried to save me, and I still completely flopped. And I can't remember what it was. I've expunged that from my mind because of the horrible memories. But um, because of that one flop, you know, what could and everything else was like an A, but it brought the whole grade down to like a B. And um, I know, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible. Terrible father. But you had and, six, gets you and ten. And you're still a pastor. I know, right? You know, you had in Rome, six gives you ten. At uh, TC, we said C's get you D's. I'm, I'm putting my hands down like on your head. You're still getting ordained. So these hands, C's get you D's. Or what do they call a <laughs> student in the seminary who averaged a C plus? They still call him father. So <laughs> so we had those kind of consoling knickknacks to get us by when the academics got tough. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, it's um, I can remember proposing uh, to, uh, to a, a fellow seminarian who's now a vicar general in a very large archdiocese. And I was saying, we were just talking about formation, and I just said that shouldn't formation be a little bit more oriented towards the actual life that a priest lives rather than um, what is more of a like scholarly uh, objective? Um, of course, priests ought to know the teaching of the church and be able to integrate that into their life and be able to say, I can present it and teach on it and defend it. I got all that, I, but um, if it means that they struggle to do things like, how do I lead a team? How do I, how do I administrate a, a multi-million dollar operation? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I work with volunteers? How do I raise up a vision? How do I uh, strategically discern and plan? Right. These are things that not a lot of time was given to in right. the seminary. How do I talk to a non-priest? About Jesus, just in a way that even how do you evangelize? Yeah. Yes. How do you share your faith? How do you pray with people? Mm-hmm. Right. There's just there were we we had that we had a couple programs on that right. But uh, he was he was mortified, scandalized that mm-hmm. I would propose that there'd be less theology. And I'm like, excuse me, I love theology, but there seems to be a bit of a tail wagging the dog here mm-hmm. in terms of um, the amount of time given to. Um, to study versus a more holistic yeah. uh, approach, which leads me to Cor Christi. Yeah. So last night, Father Ratwisti was there and he gave us an update about Cor Christi, this amazing, again, I consider very innovative approach to recognizing where young men are at and what they need. So for folks who don't know, what's Cor Christi? So Cor Christi, first the phrase means the heart of Christ. And um, uh, last year, the year before, Rome has mandated a, a, a reformation, as it were, of, of seminary formation, how seminaries operate to form future priests. And um, and the mandate is, you know, a couple of things, but the biggest piece is that a man's seminary formation begins with what is called a propedeutic year. And as Bishop commented last night, he said, most of us don't even know how to pronounce the word, let alone what it means, but basically it means preparatory. So the idea is that our culture, throughout the world, cultures have moved in such a way that that we can't presume anymore that a young man knows coming into seminary, A, how to pray, what the rosary is, what basic teachings of the church are. So it really is kind of like, in some respect, it's kind of like, you know, back to Catholicism 101. And I thought, well, for those of us who don't need that, it feels like a wasted year. But the more I think about it, and the more I talk to the guys who are actually in it, they love it because 
the emphasis is on the spiritual formation and how to pray and how to discern. And I think that the tricks of the trade, so to speak, that they will learn in that year, even if later in seminary the academics get uh, heavier, maybe to the point of being overbalanced, at least they will have that solid foundation that when life gets busy, because as a priest it will get super busy, they will still have those foundational principles on on the importance of prayer and how to pray and, and how and why to make time for prayer that will sustain them. And um, anyway, so if if that had been missing before, and it was kind of like a tag along with the academics, um, now it's like the first and and the foundational piece of seminary formation that the young men will now be getting moving forward. Yeah. And so Core Christi is our propedeutic year program for the Diocese of Spokane. Well, and I remember, I think it was Father Barnett was saying when um, he was on with the bishop and we were talking about it, that there was a human formation dimension that was also uh, sort of like a big deal yeah. because um, of the acknowledgement that there are a lot of young men who have this seed of a vocation in them, but they come from really broken circumstances, right. just or they lack a lot of human formation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of sort of like you got to prepare the ground, you yeah. got to pull some weeds, you got to mm-hmm. kind of lay the foundations, mm-hmm. and can't just presume that the culture that they grew up in isn't in fact toxic. Right. Uh, you have to almost presume the opposite mm-hmm. and then build from there. Yeah. And a, you know, a focal point of that, I guess, is in a particular way is the the healthy and pr- uh, prudent use of technology. And so the guys in our probe digger program, they actually are on a technology fast six days a week. And the guys are already reporting, I've never slept so well, I've never prayed so well, all these things being absent of that constant access to the smartphone or the whatever um, has notably improved their life in, sh- in short order. But that's one aspect of the human formation is the prudent, regulated use of technology. That is amazing. I love that. When um, Carrie heard that last night, the six-day fast, she's like, oh, yes, yes, I love that. And I think that that's where we need a snowball effect, right? If you talk about um, like a, um, some momentum, if we had more parents signing up together to say, let's go on a technology fast, let's just watch what will happen, I think some stunning uh, uh, revelations will happen for what is recovered in family life, what's recovered in one's individual life, and uh, that should not be underestimated. So, Well, Father Lewis, um, we uh, made it through the hour. Hey, how about that? Yeah. Very robust outline. We made it. (laughs) Isn't that funny? I was going to say that and I held back, but you just, you just, I just went there. Blew that door right (laughs) off. So, all right. I appreciate you being with me today, Father. Thank you all so much for listening. Pray God's blessings on your day. Join me tomorrow for more sound insight.